This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. This is episode 16 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Mike Gugat. I missed you, Grandpa. Well, you know, I, luckily we were all together a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I've missed uh, being our uh, doing our podcast. It's a uh, little overcast, cloudy today. I know there's a lot of people who are hunkering down up in northern Florida uh, for uh, Hurricane Michael, so I hope everything works out okay up in the, uh, up in the Florida panhandle. GP? What's up, guys? Kind of wish I could say I missed you, Neil, but uh, no, I'm kidding. I miss you guys. It's been you know a full two weeks since we last saw each other in Denver, but uh, a full two weeks since we've done a podcast, so it's as good to to get back at it. Well, I think it should be said that JP, to make this possible, took a 4 a.m. train uh, per the guilt that Neil gave him to to be able to to make our regularly scheduled time. So thank you, JP. Committed to the pod. Make it a hashtag. I have a lot of experience on guilt. <laughs> that, both that giving and re- both on the on the receiving and the giving end. Oh boy, Pubak can throw shade. Well, guys, today on the podcast we have Natalie Zona from Lead Sports out of Berlin, Germany. Really great interview. Uh, really incredible uh, accelerator uh, building on the legacy of Adi Dossler. So we'll look forward to talking to Natalie here in a moment. Uh, we're going to uh, break down the Industry Leaders Summit that happened out in Denver that is put on by the uh, John's employer, the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, and also talk about the startup challenge that happened there. Um, Neil's going to unpack Yeti's uh, attempt at another IPO, and then I'm going to do a lightning round with the guys uh, based on news topics, things that happened while we were away. You guys ready to get going? You bet. Let's do it. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is sponsored by Sporting Goods Business Media. The SGB Today and SGB Update daily email newsletters are the leading sources for news, information, and trends that are shaping our industry. To subscribe, just go to www.sgbmedia.com and click on subscribe. Again, that's sgbmedia.com and click on subscribe. All right, JP. I know you had to put up with the the, the Poobah and uh, and Googs in Denver, uh, not to mention all the other people that attended. But why don't you give our listeners a a rundown of you know first explain what the Industry Leader Summit is, and then uh, you know share uh, who attended and, and and what went down in Denver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the events where I can pretend like somebody needs me and I don't have to talk to people. So I definitely did that to Neil a few times. Uh, but for those that don't know or haven't been, and you're listening, and you're a C level executive in sports. Um, it's, it's really become kind of the who's who, the place to be for, for sporting goods, you know, fitness investor executives in our industry. Uh, it's the SFIA's kind of cornerstone event every September. Uh, I think this is our sixth or seventh year now. Um, this year was in Denver. Uh, we featured about 250 C-suite executives from brands such as um, Amazon and Under Armour and uh, most footwear brands you've heard of, several retailers like Walmart and, and others, Fleet Feet, et cetera. Uh, the whole idea of the conference is really to to cover big topic issues, uh, you know, talking about how to innovate in today's uh, economy, how to bring products to market, how to sell those products better, things that impact sales like tariffs, 
So lots of discussions. Um, we had a, an awesome retail panel with the CMO of BSN and the CEO of uh, uh, Fleet Feet uh, and, and uh, the CEO of Wilson as well. So a, a lot of interesting things. And, and we also kicked off our third annual uh, startup challenge, which uh, was, I would say, pretty well received overall from both the media as well as the attendees. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. But, but special this year to that was the Under Armour Innovation team decided to uh, award this year's winner with uh, kind of a mentorship on site at their headquarters in Baltimore. So we're going to fly out the winner, which was Nix. We can talk about them in a second uh, to Baltimore's Innovation Lab. And they're going to get some some great mentorship from Lauren Hamlin, who has become a friend and, uh, of SFIAs. And uh, the other part of that is we were able to this year for the first time uh, uh, create a cash prize. So our friends over at Black Lab Sports uh, announced a $15,000, no strings attached. There are several contests, which we won't get into that, that do these weird kind of give me a percent of your company if we give you cash. But we decided no strings attached, $15,000 to the winner. So that was that was a big deal. It doesn't sound like a lot of money maybe to, to some of these $50 million funds, but for an entrepreneur trying to get to market and get a patent and do these other things, uh, 15K, uh, nothing to sneeze at. So anyway, toss it over to you guys. What, what did you think? You've attended this event before. Um, any insights? Well, you know, John, I've been to most of them. I think I missed one. Uh, I really found this one to be unique um, and different. And in some ways, there, you know, they go together. Um, you know, one of the things that that I've been realizing, and, and as I've been talking to people, um, especially with the folks that you like to deal with, John, the private equity guys and and the new product companies, is that we are really an industry um, in change and an industry in transition. And when I looked at the people that were at the um, ILS, the Industry Leaders Summit, you know, we didn't really see the same names and the same people and the same companies there. You know, it appears that we've become an industry less reliant or less about some of our traditional names and our traditional products. You know, um, you know whether it's talking about you know baseballs or the sport of baseball or basketball or hockey or, or lacrosse or any of these sports. You know, we really spend an awful lot of time talking about the future and and, and also about the present. Um, but not looking back on the past. And I think that's a good thing. Um, the past is over, can't change the past. We really need to look at today because we can have a minimal effect on today, but we can really have a big effect on the future. And that's what I thought the Industry Leaders Summit did. I felt that we were talking about issues that would reach this industry long into the future. Um, John, I thought the Startup Challenge was amazing um, and, and not to you know, not to kind of blow too much sunshine, but I thought the companies that were represented there, again, represent the future in a lot of ways uh, of what's, you know, going on in our industry. But at the same time, there was also a couple of products there that, you know, represented the current. And uh, so I was really, I really thought it was a great event. Um, I met a lot of wonderful people. Um, I will tell you that I was uh, spellbound by David Kinesis presentation. Um, and his, I, I never sat through a presentation of that many slides, um, and literally the entire thing. I was spellbound by what he had to say, and and when he talked about branding and what's important um, for brands to consider and things like that. So, um, John, I thought it was a great event. Um, I thought it is an event going through a change, but um, change is good, and uh, you know, I thought the SFIA embraced it a lot. How about you, Mike? 
So to pick up on that point, I think we we had a a few friends of the pod that were there in attendance. And you mentioned David Kinesis' presentation. Uh, I think it was awesome that part of that presentation was, you know, stop doing PowerPoints. So the fact that he had so many slides. (laughs) Mr. 100 slide presentation. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but so somebody wasn't buried in their phone, they they had to pay attention and they had to come along with them. And obviously he had a... uh, a lot of uh, 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 great things to say. You know, another friend of our podcast was David Cohen. Got up there and talked about tariffs, and and then I think that's an example of the networking that goes on. And Neil, you referenced you know the number of people that uh, David got introduced to. We introduced him some to folks at our table that actually are um, vulnerable to what's happening. You know, with uh, you know the current trade war, if we want to call it that. Um, and so, you know, there, there was a real benefit. There were people that didn't know where to go to, uh, because they hadn't been confronted with issues like this before. And right there in the room is, you know, one of the top trade experts. And then I always want to come back to something I think you both were saying about this year's event. And there were a lot of new faces there. And I think that represents the energy, the energy of not only those who participated in the startup challenge, but those who actually do want to disrupt our industry in a positive way. And a lot of conversations that aren't just around like stick and ball sports, but hey, if, if you know, legalized gambling happens on sport, is there opportunities to bring those resources back to schools and activities and, you know, to, to, to avoid things like pay for play? I mean, there were really some, uh, some meaningful conversations around head injuries and and, uh, uh, and a lot of people that are in the uh, service space to help companies that have been around a long time start to think like uh, uh, startups and start to, to behave as, as innovators. You know, Tom Ferry also did a wonderful presentation, and Tom has been a, you know, a longtime advocate of getting, you know, kids out there and increasing play and getting kids more active. And, you know, I thought Tom's idea, I'm not sure if Tom is the originator of this idea. John, you might be able to let me know if he is, but the idea of making a piece of this um, league integrity fee that they're talking about integrating into this this gambling, um, you know, open up of sports, you know, gambling and sports betting, you know, nationwide and, and donating a portion of those proceeds, you know, to cover specifically, you know, getting kids more active and increasing participation, you know, I thought was genius. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, not to, I love Tom Ferry, but he, he definitely stole that from Norway, uh, I think in the Denver Post feature he wrote about, but nice little spin for you sports for sure. It. But um, you know, guys, to, to wrap it up, I think, you know, we can't talk about the presentations. And, you know, the other thing real quick before we get to that, it's just the business networking. I think everybody would agree that goes on at this event. Um, people actually get clients here. People actually get into retail at this event. People actually get investments at this event. This happened. Uh, it didn't happen yet this year, but it ha- definitely happened last year. And so I uh, really take a lot of pride in that as an organization to promote uh, small business and innovation. And and then the last thing, can't really talk about the presentations without touching on Colonel Gadsden. If you were listening to this podcast, uh, the dinner speech that Colonel Gadsden gave was uh, tremendously moving. Um, you should reach out and, and get the clip. It will make you... Uh, view life in a different light. It was, it was incredible. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Just Google, um, Colonel Greg Gadsden. Um, and you know, it, a number of articles will come up about him. His story was really inspirational, but John, I had a chance to talk to him both before the presentation. Actually, coincidentally, we ran into each other at breakfast the morning before, and I didn't know, you know, I kind of didn't put two and two together, 
But I also ran into him in, after his speech that evening and at the bar. And uh, we talked for a while, um, you know, just about, you know, some of the things that he mentioned. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, came across to me is that, you know, we plan, but things just don't always go as planned. And what do you do when things don't go as planned? And I, I just took a lot away from that. And uh, he's a wonderful, inspirational um, person, and he has a great story to tell. And I think uh, uh, just if you want to find out more about him, and Neil, you referenced all the articles, there's also a great uh, film about the season in which the New York Giants brought him in and you know made them uh, their honorary team captain. And I think it's it's produced by Peter Berg that has done Friday Night Lights and Ballers and all these things that related to football, but also in partnership with NFL Films. And uh, and it won't it'll be moving and emotional, but it won't do justice as to the speech he gave to our audience there in Denver. And there wasn't a dry eye there. Um, speaking of. Uh, of, uh, you know, dry eyes, uh, is, is Yeti going to be able to, uh, to pull off this, uh, next attempt at an IPO, Neil? This is a really interesting situation. Um, guys, I, I don't think I've ever necessarily seen this particular scenario play out like it's going to play out, um, for Yeti, you know, just of course, you know, many people are familiar with the Yeti brand. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly when they started, but they came out with a line of, you know, very high-end, expensive coolers. Um, originally, they were mostly used for, you know, sportsmen hunting and, and fishing. And then, you know, they moved into camping. Uh, many people, of course, are familiar with the Yeti um, double-insulated stainless steel uh, tumbler. Um, you know, they've come out with a number of products. But in 2017, you know, they were originally going to IPO. But you know, what they did not consider and talk about, you know, Greg Gadsden's message about, you know, planning and then things just don't go as planned. You know, right in the middle of their IPO, they had an insane drop in revenue. Um, you know, revenues dropped almost 22%. Um, wholesale revenue dropped 40% and, and couldn't even get close to being made up with direct-to-consumer. So they basically pulled the, I, the IPO. They decided that for a number of reasons, we're going to pull it. Um, some thought they were going to pull it and never um, come back to it. But um, in 2018, they did announce that they are going to um, kind of retool the IPO. And they retooled as a company, which I think is really the lesson learned. Um, you know, I think the companies sometimes become very arrogant and they think that their way is the best way or the only way. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that Yeti, you know, got a kind of a, a big, a big lesson here. Um, you know, they've put into to place this nine point kind of plan that they feel will get them back to where they need to be. Um, they are going to, they have, they have wildly increased the number of categories they're in. Um, they're going to rely more on direct to consumer business. Um, they're going to uh, implement a series of pricing actions that they think will stimulate demand. Um, What's also interesting, guys, is that they are cutting away about a thousand of their smallest retailers and, and basically focusing on their big retailers. And I think that, you know, that is a very interesting scenario because Nike, in a lot of ways, did the exact same thing. Not that Nike is in that position financially like Yeti, but they decided that they were going to pay more attention to their to their key retailers. Guys. And I know, John, you know, you're more involved in this, um, you know, than Mike necessarily on this IPO side. What do, what do you think about this situation, John? Well, I think um, 
they are looking at probably the macro kind of uh, health of the market. I think that there's probably a window, yes. right, to, to get this thing through, <laughs> if we're being, being blunt. Uh, you know, the other thing just to note, I, I think what's interesting is there is never, well, I don't want to say never, there has rarely been an appetite, uh, a lack of an appetite for premium products in our industry. And if you look at the IPOs of, of premium product lines that have gone uh, pretty successful. I, I I would guess that uh, this this could go off pretty well in the beginning. I mean, if you look at like Canada Goose and the success they've had, and I'm not sure where they're trading at today, but they definitely had a, a nice little run out of the gate. And so I'll, I'll be watching to see um, Wall Street's reaction, and and more importantly, comp sales, like you said, Neil. I mean, you're selling a premium cooler that's you know uh, what three hundred dollars more than your competitors, four hundred dollars more. It's a it's a tough market or more. Yeah, but it's not just coolers anymore. They've they've gone into uh, a number of categories, you know, revolving around camping. Um, they've gone into a number, you know, whether it's drinkware, whether it's food, um, you know, food container storage and things like that. You know, I I do think the one thing though, John, and I know the SFIA is really you know elbow deep into this, but you know, I don't think Yeti necessarily calculated how fast that people were going to be able to bring out knock knockoff yeah. products, you know, to their products to the market so quickly. I mean, you know, as soon as you turned around, you know, you saw, you know, whether it was at a Costco, whether it was at Walmart, or even at, at some of their, you know, their their retail partners like um, Dick Sporting Goods, where people were able to knock off the Yeti, uh, that 30 ounce, I forgot what the drink is called, uh, the, um, the specific yeah, the tumbler, you know, people were able to knock off that 30 ounce double wall stainless tumbler and uh, get it out there in some cases at half the price or even lower. And, and when that is the foundation of your of your product mix, um, you know, it it, it kind of gets a little uh, hey, bit. I'm, uh, I'm getting a call know, from a listener. They actually said we're tired of hearing from Neil. Mike, what do you think? Well, well, we'll we'll cut that out. But you know, clearly, my 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 Wall Street hunch may not be there. But I do think that you know, when you look at a product that you know promotes itself as is you know the obsolescence, you know, a, a bear can't destroy my cooler. How many of them do you have to buy? Do you need? And, and then you know, from a standpoint of getting into tumblers and backpacks and a lot of these different accessories, again, they're so well built. How many do you need unless you lose them or somebody steals them? I think that they have one other thing that they have to address, and I think it could be upside. But to date, they've really been a regional brand. They've been a southeastern United States coastal, you know, lake fishing river you know, type brand. And there, there's a lot of other parts of the country that, uh, um, you know, I think has upside, but a lot of their current consumers, and we saw this when they dropped their NRA discount, was the the reaction of a bunch of yahoos trying to break their cooler like a bear. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how many of those customers they can keep as they look to get into a more traditional outdoor space that might be more liberal or progressive in their beliefs as it relates to public brands, how are they going to be able to, uh, you know, to balance those two worlds? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get to the lightning round. So, uh, 
few things that caught my eye, and I'd, I'd love to get these guys' opinions. Clearly, they're they're not short of any opinions. Uh, Robert Kraft has his own $140 Nike shoe with proceeds going to the Boys and Girls Club. Will this shoe perform better than Tom Brady's dad shoe from a few years ago? Well, I'll chime in first as the uh, elder statesman of the group. First of all, I want to say that I am definitely not a New England Patriots fan. But that being said, I am a fan of Robert Kraft. Uh, I have some direct experience with Robert Kraft's philanthropy um, when it comes to my son. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that talks it and walks it. And so I have a lot of respect for him. Um, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, having his own $140 Nike shoe, you know, is going to be a big seller by any, you know, by any stretch of the word, but, you know, I applaud what he's doing. And, um, I think it's great that, uh, you know, he's going to be donating all the proceeds to the boys and girls. Yeah. I mean, I'll answer the question. I, I I think, uh, it, it will sell more. I mean, I think the, um, the impact I think of, of having the, the swoosh on the shoe, will uh, carry a little bit more weight than, than Under Armour's uh, footwear troubles right now. So um, I, I think it's great too. You know, I think it's a great cause and, and he's, he's done a couple of things uh, in the same vein in, in, you know, his history, like you alluded to. So they, I think it's a great thing. In, in fairness to Under Armour, you do have to admit they were ahead of a trend before it happened with both the Steph Curry dad shoe and the, uh, the Tom Brady dad shoe. Maybe it was the same shoe. Who knows? Um, well, actually, the Steph Curry chef shoe that people uh, made a lot of fun of, the, Ste- uh, the Curry 2, the triple white Curry 2, people made a lot of fun of that one. Man, timing is everything. So speaking, <laughs> speaking of timing, uh, Phil Knight's going to donate uh, $1 billion of his Nike stock to charity. What do you think? You know, I I think this, you know, I think the the world of of many of these, um, many of our billionaires and many of our richest people that they are going to continue to donate large sums of money to, you know, various charities and various, um, you know, issues and and things that are going on here domestically here in the United States. Um, You know, people like Phil Knight, Bill Gates, you know, Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, I can go on and on and name these guys. Look, they have derived massive fortunes thanks to the American public. Well, you know, I think it makes sense at some point, you know, how much money do you really need? And when is it time to start giving back? And so, you know, I, I again, applaud Phil Knight, you know, for, for getting out there, getting ahead of this and necessarily not waiting till he dies to uh, uh, make these donations uh, and uh, morbid, morbid you know, Thursday over here. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, you know, you, you, <laughs> you didn't mention Bezos. I, I think one thing that um, you may see these guys doing more of is, is kind of what, what Bezos is doing with the day one fund. I kind of wish he would have done a little bit more like that with a, with an actual plan uh, as opposed to just, you know, donating a tranche of money, but uh, it's great. I mean, you can't really, can't really fault the guy for, for doing what he did. All right. So uh, Kanye West has a uh, busy 24 hours starting today, Wednesday. He's got dinner with uh, with with uh, the Adidas CEO tonight. And tomorrow he's meeting with uh, President Trump. If you guys were the Adidas CEO, what would you say to Kanye? Boy, that's a really interesting and tough question. Um, you know, Mike, you sent me that link yesterday of that interview on, I guess it was CNBC with Casper Rorstead, the uh, I guess, is he the CEO or president or both of CEO. Adidas? Yeah. And, uh, okay. So, you know, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, some of the questions that the reporter asked uh, Casper, you know, about Adidas. You know, if I were Casper right now, I'd ask, you know, Kanye to maybe tone down his support of Trump. 
Um, you know, it, it's going a little against what Adidas is trying to do in terms of their current marketing strategy. Um, obviously, Kanye is going to do what he wants to do. Um, but, you know, I think Casper has to protect, you know, he's got to protect the Adidas brand, the Adidas name, Adidas' market share. And, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's going to be, I'd love to be a fly on that <laughs> yeah, wall. I mean, the, the dinner or the lunch, whatever they're doing tomorrow, I think uh, tr- President Trump and, and Kanye, I think, will be. Um, I mean, have there ever been two self-serving branding geniuses in a room together like that? I mean, that's 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 a that's going to be interesting. I, I think uh, the other story that I've been following with this, Mike, I think you know, I talked about it is the the culture clash of uh, maybe somebody who's bought Easy's before or other people buying Boosts or other you know the core customer. I mean, this is going in the exact opposite direction of what Nike just did with Kaepernick, right? So I think I think that's super fascinating. Yes. Which I think that's going to be the big challenge for for Adidas long term and, and anybody else that isn't willing to you know be on that right side of history. So that kind of segues into as as Yeezy peaked, you know, with Ultimate Scumbro uh, Pete Davidson from SNL uh, uh, calling him out by uh, wearing a hat that said "Make Kanye 2006 again." You want to reverse the order, John? Uh, Go with this I mean, one first. I, the only thing I have is Ariana Grande. Every time this guy comes up, I, I think she has put him on the map. I mean, even Neil knows who Ariana Grande is, and that I, I just I'm at a loss of words. I Absolutely. Go. I, I'm just T- talk about it. Talk about a pivot. He wants to turn to, to Ariana, and not <laughs> Kanye. Well, Ariana Grande went. Ariana Grande went to Spanish River High School here in Boca, which is where my daughter Melissa went, and uh, so there is a little bit of an affinity there. But you know, in getting back to the Yeezy situation, um, you know, this right now is an interesting situation because Adidas is putting a lot of, and I'll use the word stock, but maybe there's a better word to use, maybe emphasis, or they're also putting a lot of hope that in some ways the Yeezy brand um, will be able to kind of drive help drive the Adidas brand at the higher end price points, which right now is not the strength of Adidas. Um, If you look at the last launch they did of the 350, I think it's triple white, um, you know, you can still get them at the Yeezy store. Um, You know, when I say Yeezy store, Yeezy store online. And, you know, that had not been, you know, usually it's sold out like right away. Um, So by, you know, Adidas, you know, increasing the distribution of the Yeezy brand. Is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? I, I do think I'm going to reserve judgment. I do think that the Yeezy brand may have run its course um, in some ways because of Kanye. Um, you know, he, he ain't no Michael Jordan and, uh, and, and the Yeezy, you know, and the Yeezy franchise will never be what the Air Force One franchise is to Nike. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm not sure at this point if if Kanye's got a lot left in the tank to sell a lot more pairs of sneakers. If any listeners have access to the Make Kanye 2006 again hats, I have a very large head, and I don't know if they're fitted or snap back, but uh, I would love one, please. Um, all right, let's 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 wrap up on this, so we can get to our awesome interview with uh, Natalie Sona. Um, will Puma's Clyde Court disrupt hoops? Neil. Well. Yes, yeah, since I'm the footwear guy, I guess I'll uh, uh, the answer to my the answer is I think no. Um, you know, I think you know, will they gain some market share? Will they gain some sort of, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, what do you call it, notoriety or publicity out of it? I think they will. It's not a bad looking shoe, by the way, but I just don't think that you know Puma is going to be able to put 
the kind of marketing emphasis or the kind of uh, weight behind the shoe in order to really try to drive sales. Look, Nike, between Nike and Jordan, they have over 92% market share of the basketball category. So, you know, there's not a whole lot to fight for in that category. I mean, you know, you can try to go after, you know, Under Armour and the Curry uh, franchise. You can try to go after some of the Adidas uh, market share, but there's just not a lot of white space or not a lot of headroom in that category. You know, that being said, you know, Puma Clydes were one of the first expensive sneakers or, you know, that I ever bought. Blast from and uh, so, you know, maybe this, you know, yeah, well, you know, maybe everything that's old is new again will apply. Yeah, here. I mean, I agree. I they know. actually look pretty sweet. Um, when I when I looked at them, I was like, I kind of kind of want a pair. But uh, I highly doubt you're going to see – kind of look like Vans, actually. I highly doubt you're going to see uh, the NBA adoption of this. I mean, unfortunately for Mr. Clyde, uh, nobody really watching basketball younger than, what, 30 remembers him? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a tough thing for, for some of these guys to try to make comebacks. And we even talked about the Jordan fatigue, right? I mean, I think – with the Gen Zers coming up and people are saying MJ who. So I, I, I'm not sold on this. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, as, as somebody who apparently is not a footwear guy, even though he's worked <laughs> in the foot and wear industry for quite some time and is part of a startup footwear venture, uh, uh, I could be wrong, but I do think they look great. And uh, I think that there is opportunity to take share. And whether that comes from Nike or not, I think there's a handful of others that are vulnerable. Hey, let's get on to Natalie. This industry trend spotlight is brought to you by SSI Data, the only weekly point-of-sale reporting service for the active lifestyle categories, from sneakers to tents and everything in between. SSI Data is the gold standard to learn what's selling to help you gain that strategic advantage. For more information, go to SSIData.com and click Contact in the upper right-hand corner. Again, that's SSIData.com and click on contact. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, I'm excited to announce our special guest today. Uh, we are have the privilege of being able to talk to Natalie Zana from uh, the Lead Sports Accelerator out of Berlin. Uh, she is the head of the program over there. Natalie, how are you today? Very good, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, we're really excited to talk about everything you guys have going on over there. So Natalie, there's a lot of jargon out there. Can you just tell us at a base level what an accelerator is to begin with? Absolutely. Um, accelerators come in different uh, shapes and forms, but it's usually three months programs where you identify or scout promising startups, bring them into the program and provide them with not only workshops and trainings, but um, most importantly, access to your network, meaning potential investors, potential partners, you bring them mentors. Um, and you basically try to help them develop as fast as possible over the coming three months to become investment ready. Now, there's different stages that you might target. So you usually target early stage startups, but you can also go for a bit later startups. Interesting. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your accelerator in particular and how it's related to, to sports startups and, and maybe a little bit about the legacy as well? Super interesting story. Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, LEAD Sports Accelerator, LEAD actually stands for Legacy of Adidasla. Adidasla was the founder of Adidas and his grandchildren 
20, 28 years after selling the business, um, still kept on wondering how can we continue the legacy of our grandfather. So Adidasla is perceived as the father of the modern sports industry. So how would he innovate today? That's basically what they kept on wondering. And um, the conclusion or the answer to that question was he would probably be supporting startups today. So from that, they came up with the idea of founding an accelerator program. Hey, Natalie, could you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the cohorts and, and what is a cohort? Absolutely. Um, the cohort is the batch of startups that is actually going into the program. So we're currently in the middle of our second program. We launched beginning of last year, um, first with the first application phase, um, where we basically scouted all around the globe. So we we opened up to the entire sports universe. So unlike other VCs or investors, we also said we're looking for the very first um, cohort. We're also looking for not just VC cases, but also for um, pure hardware for uh, long-term sustainable growth companies. Um, so we really looked at the entire sports universe um, in the category of active lifestyle. We even looked at nutrition. So we simply wanted to know what was out there. And obviously we also wanted to know what was going on all around the world. So we really, during the application phase, um, traveled to conferences all around the world. We had media partnerships in our most relevant markets. And we also did mass outreach to startups all around the world. That's great, Natalie. I think uh, you might be being a little modest. I've seen the numbers. Can you talk about uh, or share with our listeners the numbers you guys received? It's pretty outstanding, the, the amount of applications. Yeah, well, we were we were a bit surprised in a positive way as well because our goal was to receive 300 applications, was which which was quite an insane goal already, um, given the fact that we had just launched the brand and the application phase. Um, in the end, we received 480 applications from all around the world. N and what was pretty interesting as well, yeah. Natalie, this is Neil. Uh, I, I have two questions. You know, I hear the term incubator used a lot. Is, is an accelerator just another – is it a synonym for incubator um, where, you know, you're able to kind of, you know, bring these companies and kind of, you know, you know, make them – help them grow up? Is that really what an accelerator does? Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of basic differences between incubators and accelerators. It's usually um, incubators usually are at least six months or even longer. Um, they still provide working space for the startup, so they stay within the space. So they keep on incubating. An accelerator usually is a shorter and more intense time, but they both have the have the goal of really accelerating and developing the startups or the cohort um, to help them grow. And then How? there's differences between, right. sorry. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> and then there's also differences, obviously, between the accelerator and the startups in terms of their relations. So some accelerator programs don't take equity, so they don't become investors. Others, like us, we do take equity. That means we bring them into our portfolio and we keep engaged long term, even after the program. You know, you said you get 300 applications. Um, that, that's, a, that's an amazing number. When you get an application, um, you know, what do you look at? Do you look at the product that they're, they're developing? Do you look at the category? Or, or do you really look at also the people that are bringing this to you, um, you know, in terms of their experience and, and their, um, you know, what they bring to this uh, startup uh, situation? 
Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. Obviously, we look at the product, we look at the market, um, but first and foremost, we look at the founders. So we really look at the teams. Um, we spend time evaluating the setup of the team, but also the background of the founders. Have they worked together um, before that startup? How long have they known each other? Um, and what's very important is not to only look at the skill set, but also to find more about the founder in terms of also their interest and their values that goes a bit further than I think most VCs or investors and we don't only look at their skill set but we also try to find out as much as we can about their interests and most of all their values because their values are an indicator of their commitment and as we want to work with them long term and not just for a three months period and we want to see them foster and grow over the years We really look at what are their values and are they aligned with our values and is that founder that we want to invest in. Natalie, I, I, I love that you reference values and oftentimes values are, are tools that leaders can use to motivate the people that work with them or for them. Um, when you're looking at these applications, how many of these entrepreneurs are natural leaders and how many are you all developing into leaders? That is a very tricky question. I think you already have to have something inside of you to become a leader. Um, but I think for all of those startups, we definitely help them to become better leaders. So leadership and team development is a focus point within our program. Um, so as our program is structured this year, um, we made a change to last year because Demo Day usually marks the end of a program. And we pushed it in a little bit. So Demo Day actually happens two and a half weeks before the end of our program. Why is that? Because A, we have startups from all around the world here. We have startups from Australia, from India, from Jamaica, and they have kids. And they come over here for three months and they leave their family behind and they really take that sacrifice. But that also means that the day after Demo Day, they go home as fast as they can. And we wanted to give them enough time for follow-up conversations with investors that basically are sparked on Demo Day. But we also wanted to have a time frame where we can play topics and workshops, trainings, one-on-one sessions that might not be their first focus, but that are super, super relevant. And a topic like that is leadership and team development. So the, fir- the last two weeks in our program, we will concentrate heavily on how to make our founders better founders and how to make the founding teams better teams. Awesome. Hey, Natalie, so can you tell our listeners, uh, you know, sounds like you guys have received about a thousand applications or looked at about a thousand companies or so. Um, any types of theses or trends or anything you could share with our listeners about where you may think the industry is going or, or, you know, patterns you guys might be seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I said before, last year, we really opened it up to the entire sports universe because we wanted to see what was out there. For this year's application phase and for this year's cohort, we concentrated on three sub-verticals. We concentrated on A, fan engagement. So anything around smart venues, anything around fan data and analytics, anything around how media and entertainment is changing. The second vertical is connected technologies. So anything about wearables, but most importantly, like tracking and coaching and performance apps and data and analytics in this field. 
And the third one we call derivative markets. So that is all new kinds of business models in sports. And that contains obviously esports, contains gaming, betting, but also marketplaces, influencer. And those are the three verticals where we see the most movement in the market, in, in the capital that is behind there, and where we see the biggest trends in the future. Natalie, you know, it sounds like what you're doing is really exciting. And it also sounds like it's a lot of fun. Can you uh, tell us about, you know, what is your biggest success story? If there was one, one story that you had to, you know, you'd like to point to, what is your biggest success story? I guess that also depends on how you, how you define success. I mean, in terms of numbers, uh, we already talked about it. Um, our startups um, received follow-on investment in, um, in the volume of five million. So that is a big success already. We invested in eight of them. That's super unusual for an accelerator. So that's a big success already as well. Um, our one startup from Germany from the first batch, they raised 1.2 million euro, which might not sound much if you're used to Silicon Valley um, volumes, but is a quite high sum for an early stage investment in Germany. And they just launched their product into, um, into the market in Germany. We talked about the numbers before. So our startups received 5 million in follow-on investments. 12 of them in total received follow-on investments. And most importantly, all of them are still alive. That's a question that I actually get quite, quite often. So that's, that's big in terms of success, in terms of numbers. Uh, what I personally thrive on is also the community that we build and that is still alive. And we're in the, in the process of organizing an alumni reunion around our this year's demo day. And when I hear about um, how the startups are still supporting each other, but not only the startups amongst each other, but also when I talk to our mentors that mentored them last, last year, how all of them are still in touch and still making valuable intros valuable connections that lead to partnerships. That is that is a different kind of success that I am really proud of as well. I would love to attend demo day. It sounds like it's a real fun it's a it's a fun Come experience. Over. Come over. It is <laughs> it sounds like an amazing experience actually. Natalie, you don't know what you're gonna get if Neil comes. Come on. Hey, I'm always good at asking questions. Everybody yeah, knows John that. John has to keep ex- John has <laughs> to keep extra security around at Startup Challenge so Neil doesn't get a microphone. But, uh, exactly. Something you referenced earlier, Natalie, was you know active lifestyle, and and the news may have gotten over there to Berlin, but we have an issue, an activity crisis in this country that's been going on for quite some time. And I guess as you kind of look at some of these companies and and as they're looking to solve a problem, um, how many are, are focused on solving that particular problem? Do you get applications for folks trying to solve the activity crisis problem? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We even have one um, from our former batch, from the 2017 batch that is is explicitly targeting that issue. Uh, Forward Game AR is a startup from Israel that is developing AR games and mobile games to make kids basically get out of their home and start um, start exploring the outside, uh, the outdoors, and stop just being locked in their in their rooms and make them get active again. Natalie, if you could 
pull that off and get make that into something that you know would be accepted worldwide you know i i would nominate you for the nobel peace prize because <laughs> you know literally this is you know something that has been you know very top of mind for for john mike and others in our industry here in the us and, and also you know globally is that you know there's an obesity crisis um starts mm-hmm. with children um but it also involves parents and uh you know something you know something that could go a long way to to try to you know somehow stem that tide i think you know again would be earth shattering my opinion yeah absolutely we believe that too and that's the first step and then we have a couple of more startups that are focusing on those that already started getting active but um keeping the retention high with them and keeping them engaged and um making them not give up on their workouts That's awesome got it hey hey natalie we'll uh we'll get you out of here uh on this anybody who's listening uh who may want to attend demo day or find out more information what what should they do to to learn more well, I'm not going to give out my phone number on this. <laughs> have a good idea. We have a lot of listeners. <laughs> but I, I believe it's quite easy to contact me through the website. So please head to leadsports.com and you will find all the contact details of the team on the website and you can just um, send us an email. And I, I mean, I tell you guys all the time that Berlin is always worth a visit. Um, I mean, I try to point you more towards a summer visit and not necessarily taking in the very, very scary winter in Berlin, but it is happening on November 12th. Um, so be brave and come over, contact us and we're awesome. happy to have you. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We'd love to bring you back on to talk about, uh, you know, some, some success stories after this cohort's over. So thank you again, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to thank our guest, Natalie Sona from Lead Sports in Berlin, Germany, our sound engineer, Tyrone Littman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment. Our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and be sure to rate us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.